What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Brock Blake is the founder and CEO of Lendio, an online marketplace for small business loans. Lendio offers borrowers access to loan options from more lenders than any other marketplace in the industry. In this conversation, we discuss the small business reality right now, how PPP funding impacted these entrepreneurs, and how Brock and his team serviced 100,000 businesses with $8 plus billion in funding. I really enjoyed this conversation with Brock, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is OKCoin. They're a new sponsor, so make sure you pay attention to this one. There are a lot of crypto exchanges for us to choose from. Whether you're new to crypto, an advanced trader, or an institution, the most important thing when choosing an exchange is typically how easy it is to fund your account and the cryptos you can access through it. I always recommend people to have an account on a regulated exchange so you can easily go in and out of the market using your bank account. Recently, we've seen large regulated exchanges hike up trading and withdrawal fees. Obviously, that's not cool. OKCoin is a US-based regulated exchange that serves 184 countries and is super easy to use and offers some of the lowest fees in the industry. What I love about OKCoin as an individual, I can go from registering to verifying my profile and connecting my bank account in just minutes. In fact, OKCoin is literally the fastest exchange to go from zero to having a crypto portfolio. You don't have to wait three days for your deposit to show up or upload multiple ID documents or facial scans to get started, which by the way, is pretty creepy. But they've also been listing popular assets and I hear they are working on even more listings. So they've got DeFi, they've got Bitcoin, they've got everything. Go open an account today at okcoin.com slash pomp. Again, okcoin.com slash pomp. Go check out their exchange, new advertiser. So let's make sure we support them because they make all of this possible. Next up is Harvested Financial. You guys have heard me talk about them before, but markets have had an absolutely wild year and there's no better way to tame the beast than with options. Harvested Financial has strategies that work for your portfolio, whether the VIX is at eight or 80. You can capture opportunity and manage risk with systematically executed strategies. When you have conviction, there's no more capital efficient way than options to profit from odds on plays that leverage your insight. You can introduce convexity to your portfolio with high payout ratios and odds on plays, or you can protect your assets with multi-tiered volatility laddering strategies that reduce your exposure for a fraction of the cost. No matter what you think the market or the Fed will do, options give you an edge. Let Harvested Financial put a little bit of different in your portfolio. And for only $5 a month for your first three months by going to harvestedfinancial.com slash pomp. Now, I know options can be scary for people, but go check these guys out. They're basically a robo-advisor for options trading. So if you want options exposure and you're just learning about it, they're a fantastic solution. Harvestedfinancial.com slash pomp. Go check them out. Lastly is Masterworks. As you guys know, I'm a huge fan of these guys and they've been advertising with us for quite a while. So Masterworks has one mission in life. That mission is that if 97% of outstanding bonds yield less than 5% and the average savings account earns a measly 0.5% and the stock market is trading at a lofty 26 times earnings, most investors are desperate for an alternative asset class other than Bitcoin. So get your Bitcoin and then you got to look what else are you going to do? And so they want to protect that hard earned wealth. Stocks and bonds just don't cut it anymore. And that's where masterworks.io comes in. Masterworks.io lets you buy and sell investments in blue chip art by artists like Banksy, Cause, and Monet. 
Just last week, Masterworks reported a sale of their Banksy masterpiece, resulting in a 32% annual return net of fees to investors in a little over 12 months. That's nearly twice the return of the S&P over the same period. So blue chip art, it's a $1.7 trillion asset class that outperformed the S&P by 180% between 2000 and 2018, with almost no correlation to the stock market. Here's how it works. Masterworks qualifies paintings with the SEC. It takes them public through a reggae offering and makes shares available to their 100 plus thousand investors. You basically can buy fractional shares in this elite art. So if you're already investing in your IRA every two weeks, make sure to check out masterworks.io. You can use promo code POMP to skip their 22,000 person wait list. That's right, go to masterworks.io, use code POMP, and you'll skip the entire wait list. Again, masterworks.io, promo code POMP, go start buying elite expensive art today. All right, that's it for the advertisers. Go support those folks, they make all this possible. Let's get in this episode with Brock. I hope you guys enjoy it. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Brock here with me. Thank you so much for doing this, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. For sure. Let's just jump right into your background. Kind of tell us everything you did before you got to Lendio. <laughs> That's a quite, way to, quite a way to start. Uh, so short and sweet, um, I, I've been an entrepreneur since college. I was at BYU. I was playing soccer there. I heard about an entrepreneurial competition, kind of like the TV show, The Apprentice. Uh, without Trump saying you're fired and the glitz and glamour and all that. But we had 100 entrepreneurs that applied. They narrowed it down to 20. 20 of us went through an eight-week boot camp where we were learning about being an entrepreneur. And it was a competition. We did all these things. And at the end, um, they chose five and uh, gave them each $50,000 to start a business. So I was one of the five. Uh, that was fortunate to win the $50,000 and I could use that money to do anything that I wanted as far as any business. I looked at buying a, an ice cream store and looked at building a technology company and, and every business that I was talking to, um, the main challenge was that they all needed financing. They needed money somehow to, to grow or, or uh, start their business. And, and um, so, you know, early on my career was we were going to connect these entrepreneurs to wealthy private angel investors. And we kind of built this dating website and, and uh, literally made every mistake in the book along the way. And, but realized something pretty um, valuable along the way, which is most businesses in America are main street businesses. They're restaurant owners and landscapers and all that type of thing. And, and they don't need, they're not going to be the next Uber and Facebook and, and all of these. They're going to be good businesses, but they don't need a million dollars. So um, we changed the model on its head and, and started focusing on debt financing. And, and uh, so that's, uh, and, and, and the way we've, we've gone with it, uh, with Lendio connecting entrepreneurs to debt financing and banks and credit unions and fintech lenders across the country since then. So that's the very shortened version. 
Absolutely. And I think what's so interesting about your business is it's lending and it's small businesses. Uh, for those that don't know uh, or haven't been paying attention, there was this public health crisis with a pandemic that then caused an entire economy uh, in the United States and then economies around the world to shut down. The velocity of money goes down. There's massive, massive issues. Uh, if you're a large corporation with billions of dollars on your balance sheet, you're not maybe you're not doing okay, right? But uh, but but you can survive, right? You've got access to capital, you've got access to partners, you can raise equity quickly. Um, you can kind of do all the things you need. Small businesses don't have that, and I think early on in, in uh, March and April, I went back and I looked at some data, um, and it was something like uh, most small businesses, especially in the restaurant and food industries, uh, they only have about two weeks of cash on hand in their bank account, right? So they can't even make it 30, 45 days without having, uh, you know, kind of no revenue. Uh, on top of that, they don't have access to capital, right? They, they can't raise equity very quickly, especially when every investor is actually not deploying capital, but actually trying to find cash and hoard it during uncertainty. And so you guys became this great option. Maybe talk about like in the early days of the pandemic, what you guys saw as the opportunity, and then we'll get into kind of how you guys actually executed. But but what were you seeing in March and into April uh, during this uh, kind of economic shutdown? Yeah, so March, it was crazy time where all of a sudden, you know, we everyone's starting to recognize that pandemic's hitting and we're shutting down the NBA and all the different sports teams. And and, um, you know, we re started to recognize that, that these businesses, to no fault of their own, are going to be in a really tough spot. Um, and uh, we started to see that, you know, the, the Congress was going to pass a package, a stimulus package, the greatest stimulus package or the, the largest stimulus package in the history of the U.S. to provide every business owner in America access to these paycheck protection loans. Um, and when we caught wind of that, I sent a text to, to our board members and said, um, Lendio is perfectly positioned to help these small business owners. Um, in fact, the text was, it was a quote, it was a Winston Churchill quote. Uh, and it was, it says this, to every man there comes in his lifetime that special moment when he is figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered a chance to do a very special thing, unique to him and fitted to his talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for that, which would be his finest hour. And, and I just, you know, we didn't know what the PPP program was going to be like, but we knew that millions of business owners across the country were, were going to be devastated. They, they were seeing their cash, you know, go out the window. They were seeing that they were going to have to do layoffs and shut their doors and turn off their lights and, and, our mission at Lendio is fueling the American dream. And in that moment, we decided to change our mission temporarily to saving the American dream. And we were going to go all in. So the text I sent to my board was, I don't know what this means. I don't know if we're going to make money. I don't know what's going to happen. But we are going to go all in and do everything we can to help as many small business owners get access to capital. And we have the platform to be able to make a significant impact. Um, and, uh, so in a matter of a couple of weeks, we did, we stopped everything we were doing from an operations perspective. We have 300 to 350 employees. We dedicated our engineering team on building a, a digital app. We went out and onboarded 250 financial institutions. And by the way, normally when you onboard a bank, it takes six to 12 months, right? They're the slowest moving organizations and in, in, in the world. And, and, uh, but we did it in 10 days. We onboarded 250 provided technology for them to accept the PPP loan. We hired um, 
we went out on a limb and hired 250 employees uh, in 10 days, all working from home, workstations that we had to, you know, get and ship to their house to, and train them uh, remotely. And, and we just said, there are businesses out there that we need to help get, to get access to capital. And the reason why is because a lot of businesses, their bank that they worked with either was not approved for an SBA loan. Or, or not approved to offer SBA loans, they weren't SBA lenders, or their bank was prioritizing other customers that were much larger than them. And uh, which meant there were all these business owners that were at a disadvantage and we felt like we could make an impact and help them. So we started seeing that writing on the wall and decided we're going for it. Yeah, what was so crazy is I remember thinking back in you know, really April, kind of once the uh, PPP program got approved and we started to get some numbers around just how quickly I think that first tranche went, it was literally gone in like less than 24 hours or less than 12 hours maybe. Um, and then also all the stories p- piled in of like, oh, the bank's best customers, they got all the loans first. Right. Like you kind of have this sense of just like, you want to stick your middle finger up and say, you know, hey, bankers, exactly. like I knew you would do that. But the fact that you did, it still pisses everybody off, right? Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, thankfully, these businesses had options like Lendio um, to, to kind of get to it. When I saw the numbers from what you guys have done so far, so uh, I think these are correct, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, over 100,000 small businesses, you guys have helped kind of access that uh, some form of capital, most of it being PVP loans, uh, and over $8 billion of funds that they were able to tap into, which is just... When you think of those numbers, like you can rattle off millions and billions and thousands and all this kind of stuff, but like a hundred thousand small businesses is an absolute operational nightmare. I've got to imagine uh, yes. it's a technological nightmare in terms of I can only imagine like the surges um, that you guys were getting, especially when everyone's so uh, kind of fearful. Uh, the program had a lot of uh, you know unknowns to it. And I think a lot of banks were kind of slow because they didn't fully understand everything. Um, Talk a little bit just about like now looking back over the last seven, eight months, like how does it feel to have, you know, over a hundred thousand businesses, $8 billion in in, uh, funding access and know that like you and your team were able to kind of facilitate that? Well, during the moment, I mean, it was, uh, it was way more customers than we we've ever seen before. In fact, there was one day I was on CNN and CNBC right at the beginning, um, both uh, stations uh, the first day talking about what was happening. And we saw a thousand times more traffic in that afternoon than we had seen on any other day previous to that day. Um, it was just nuts. And, and not a thousand had, percent, a thousand times. A thousand more. X, yes. And fortunately, our engineering team is amazing and everything kind of st- piece still still stuck together and 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 held we didn't crash um and you know during in the moment you're going through this and you're like i'm not sure if this is going to be the best thing we ever did or the worst thing we ever did um because you're trying every business owner has a story and and you're trying to help every single one of them and many of them it became personal because it's it's you know, it's my brother and my brother-in-law that are like texting me every day. Am I going to be able to get a loan? And, and every person that you've ever met in your life that, that has owned a business that knows you, what you do, it, whether that's from elementary school or college or the community or your best friend's neighbor or whoever is reaching out to you with this urgent call that my business is going to go out of business and I can't make payroll if I don't get a loan 
please help me. And so you can imagine the amount of stress and pressure that you feel um, as, as you're getting that all day long from everyone. Um, and it's not like, you know, that happens once a month. It's like 10 times a day. Uh, so, you know, at the time we were just like feeling this immense amount of pressure. It was neglecting, you know, my family and, my, and, and it was waking up at early, you know, 435 and literally going to bed at midnight and all day long without any time to shower or eat. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating these things. Sometimes you, you say that and it, it sounds great, but literally it was just like this pressure every moment to, to help these small business owners. Um, and, um, there were times where I thought it was going to crash and burn. Like we, we didn't have like, let's just tell you this real short story. You mentioned this first weekend, how the money was going so fast and, and all these business owners seeing the capital, like I need to get in on this. If I don't, I, I don't know if there's going to be another chance. And, and we had 300 banks right from the get go that all said, I can take as many customers as you can send us. But what they didn't, none of us anticipated was in that first weekend, they would get more loan volume applications in that weekend than they had ever seen in, in, and they said it had been more in that weekend than they'd seen in the last 15 years combined. Um, and so all of a sudden these banks came back to us on Monday saying, we went from 300 to literally zero overnight because the bank said, we can't take on any customers. We've got more than enough for our own with our own customers, sorry. And we had at that time already had, you know, tens of thousands of business owners that had signed up to Lendio applying. And so there was this moment from Monday to about Wednesday where we were scrambling saying, who, who, which lenders can we send these customers to? And uh, we ended up cutting a deal uh, 11 p.m. on Wednesday night with a lender that ended up taking on 25,000 customers and two and a half billion dollars of loans. And like, there were moments like that all along the way where you just, again, you didn't know if this was the best thing that ever happened to you or the worst thing that ever happened to you. Um, but in the end, looking back and saying 120,000 businesses, $8 billion, and each of those has a story, 1.2 million jobs, Looking back at that impact we had and, the, and seeing the videos of thank you car or the thank you videos and the testimonials and the emails and all the things that we did. And, and, and sometimes I'll go and I'll meet someone and they'll be like, I got a loan from you, you know, during this time. And um, it's incredible. It's 10 times more challenging than anything I've ever done, but 10 times more rewarding. What was it like negotiating the deal at like literally the 11th hour uh, and you're like, hey, I got a lot of people who need money uh, and they're all counting on me to get this deal done? Well, it, it wasn't public at the time and I don't know if I should make it public now, but, but um, to, w w as an agent in the, in the thing, you have, the, your margins are tiny. Uh, you can get 1%, a half a percent or a quarter of a percent. And, um, and, and I said, you know what? And, and we could barely make any money on that or to even make it happen. But it, the cause was worth it. Um, but I cut a deal that night, 11 p.m. the night where we were going to give up 50% of our economics. Um, and for the first 10,000 loans that we funded, we'd, we'd give up 50% of our economics. And, and 
Um, and that was painful. We didn't make any money on any of those loans, but I didn't care. I want, we were motivated to help those small businesses. And so when we got that deal cut, it was like an amazing, you know, it was, it was awesome. Um, just cause it opened up the opportunity to help these small business owners. And then we ended up going and adding a bunch of other lenders that could then take on more customers and so on. But that first deal we cut was, uh, was critical. Absolutely. And obviously one of the big questions has always been around the PPP program, just like, okay, cool. In March, April into uh, uh, May and June, like we got money into the hands of these small businesses. How long can it last? Right. And so maybe give us an update as to like what you guys are seeing on the small business front today. Some states have, or cities have business still uh, shut down. Some have them kind of partially open. Some are back to normal from like a, you can open and do whatever you want. Just what are you seeing? in terms of the financial needs of these small businesses today? Yeah, so there's three things I would say briefly. What, number one is there's a lot of small businesses that went through that PPP loans in the two and a half months and that's all it was supposed to last. It was to cover your payroll for two and a half months and they burned through that and they're in a tough spot. A lot of restaurants and retail and hotels and theaters and all of those uh, and to no fault of their own, especially in some of those places where the restrictions of the pandemic are so tight. Um, and I, and I can't tell you how extremely frustrated I am personally. And the, and, and the, the, our small businesses should be at our politicians right now. The fact that they have gone this long, you know, bickering over a stimulus package that they're trying to, you know, with their own personal agendas and, and they're playing politics. And meanwhile, you know, businesses are shutting their doors permanently. Um, hundreds of, I mean, we have nearly, you know, for, I've seen stats of a couple hundred thousand, 60% of them are shut down permanently. And, and yet we can't, everyone agrees on PPP, but there's other things they're trying to insert in the package that they don't agree on. So PPP is being held hostage, at least the second round. So that's frustrating. I, I, um, and, and we're pushing as hard as we can to, to try and get our politicians to do something. The second thing I would say is that other lenders have, you know, they stopped lending in April, but then they've recognized that, yeah, the, the rug was pulled out from under them April 1st. But since then, there's been some, it's totally different than pre-COVID, but at least it's stable. Uh, and it's a different stable, but at least it's stable. So lenders are, are now starting to be able to underwrite again because they can look at the last three to six months of cash flow and, and recognize, okay, this business, this is, you know, it's maybe revenues are down 25%, but at least it's consistently down 25%. I can underwrite to that. Um, so, you know, literally week over week, month over month, the, our volume at Lendio, the loans that we're doing and they're getting funded by our lenders is, is increasing because lenders are starting to get more aggressive and comfortable around, around lending again. Um, and then there's this third set of, of small businesses that, you know, the pandemic's the best thing that's ever happened to them. Um, from, you know, recreational vehicles, whether it's RVs or mountain bikes or boats or, uh, you know, or, uh, at, you know, I hear construction, um, home remodels, you know, a lot of those things. People are at home and they're seeing their home needs to be repaired or upgraded or things like that. And so those things, I, I think there's some industries that are doing extremely well. Um, so those are some of the things that we're seeing in the market. Absolutely. And what's crazy to me is in a span of a couple of weeks, you hired 200 to 250 new employees 
What is that like? Like to me, that's such a, <laughs> uh, a crazy thing. And it sounds like maybe it was almost doubling the size of the business, right? From a headcount yeah. standpoint. So talk through that um, kind of experience. Yeah. So I never thought we would go through an experience like that. I mean, um, you know, your scaling is one thing and, you know, we were at a pace of hiring, you know, something like 20 a month, which was a big deal, but 250 over 10 days. Um, and what it made it even more challenging is that we were all work from home. So getting the, the, the computers into their hands, getting training. Um, and uh, so there's, we, we were cr extremely creative on how we did that. We had some other offices in the area that were looking to do furloughs. And, and so it was kind of like we were renting some of their team members for a period of time. We had people that uh, were, you know, all of a sudden universities were closed and everything was online. So they needed a summer job. Uh, we were hiring our team members, you know, uh, their spouse or their brother or their their son or whoever, you know, a lot of uh, personal referrals. Um, and but one thing that became really clear. So that, that the logistically that was it was quite the challenge. But one thing I, I it became so clear to me was that people love to be a part of a cause. They want to be they want to go and help. They want to solve a problem. They want to do something bigger than themselves. And and we had so many that just bought completely into this idea of saving the American dream and helping small businesses. And that what was, that's what, what was incredible is they sacrificed a lot and their training, it wasn't a nine to five job. It was like, I need to know this because I need to be, I want to be able to be a part of this. I want to, I want to help more businesses. And so I need to become an expert. And uh, so it was a lot of logistics, but a lot of like clear motivation of these team to, to be a part of something special. Yeah. And in terms of where you guys are now, so you have this massive influx of uh, kind of small businesses and activity for the PPP program. How do you think that kind of positions you guys moving forward? Is this something where you'll kind of continue to help these small businesses and there'll be some ongoing support? Uh, is it something where you're kind of dependent on what the government programs are? Just talk through kind of how you see the relationship with those 100, 120,000 uh, small businesses moving forward. Yeah, so PPV for us is just another loan product. So we're a marketplace and we've got a lot of loan products and some come and go. And so right now, you know, it's PPP is one of the products that we offer, but we offer other SBA loans, lines of credit, term loans, and so on. So those businesses that we helped um, get a PPP loan, there's other things that, we're that we want to help them with. Now, number one is we have a cash flow product. It's kind of like a a QuickBooks Lite where it you know, pulls their bank data each day and it gives them cash alerts of cash is up and cash is down, all invoicing management, bookkeeping, things like that to help them, you know, preserve and manage cash. Um, so that's one thing that we've got a lot of those customers that are, that are finding benefit in that product. The second thing is, is that, you know, um, with those customers, we are going back to them and making sure they are aware of other loan products that are available in, in case they need another loan for growth or, or other reasons down the road to be able to help them secure other types of financing. Um, and, and so, you know, it's really, it's, we make money through our lenders. We're trying to do everything we can to add value to those business owners to, to um, build a relationship of trust that when they need financing, they go to Lendio. Absolutely. And um, do you see a world where eventually you'll help on the equity side as well? Or is it pretty much uh, debt is really kind of the sweet spot and you see that as like the number one best way to help the small business? 
<laughs> so because we started with equity financing, um, and uh, I have I have nightmares. I even start twitching a little bit when I think <laughs> about getting back into equity. And there's reasons for that. And a couple of reasons why. Number uh, number one is um, with equity capital, there's no formula. Um, in other words, if if you're investing in a business, you what you, the types of business you're going to invest in will depend on how you feel that day, whether you connected with that entrepreneur, how your 401k is doing. And it's so, it's so subjective, right? And, and there's no way to build, you know, uh, A plus B equals C, and you can do that every single time. Um, and, and the second thing is, is that business owners, like raising capital is, it's just, it's a relationship thing. It's a challenge. It, it is who you know. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then third, only about 1% of businesses actually raise venture capital or, or angel capital. And, and, you know, I'd prefer to focus on the 99% of Main Street America that needs, you know, debt financing. So for a bunch of those reasons, uh, we'll probably allow someone else to, to go and solve that problem. Absolutely. And then in terms of kind of future plans for Lendio itself, um, you, you'll kind of continue to uh, service these small businesses with various um, types of debt products. Talk a little bit just about how does this affect um, or position you guys from a headcount standpoint moving forward? How do you think about kind of growing the business? It's become uh, quite popular for, uh, you know, versions of fintech companies to want to go public or, uh, you know, kind of do all kinds of things that maybe over the last 10 years, hasn't been as popular. How do you kind of just view building the business? So not necessarily serving the customers, but like you, you have to build a business that you're responsible for employees. How do you see that uh, evolving over time? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with, uh, you know, building a marketplace that's the best, most efficient uh, way to get loans uh, for business owners. And then there's a bunch of things that we can do to build off that. So if you start with that foundation, which is a very difficult foundation to build and start and Marketplaces are challenging in and of themselves, but we think about then, okay, we've got two customer bases. On one side, we've got financial institutions. On the other side, we have um, small businesses. How do we build a relationship with them that will last a long time? So on the small business side, I talked about our Sunrise product is helping them with cash flow um, and helping them with bookkeeping and invoicing. And, and we have a, a really high um, you know, retention rate there um, and, uh, some exciting, and, and, and what I love about that is that we turn it into a one-time loan application to what I call an always on application, meaning we can alert you, um, the minute that you're qualified for a loan down the road, um, and you're just running your business. We're helping you run your cash. And all of a sudden we say, Hey, you're, you're, you get an alert on your phone. You're qualified for a $50,000 loan. Click here to take it. Um, because we already had access to that cash flow data uh, and, and, and to add more value that way. On the flip side of the business, it's with, with our lenders, we've never seen it in, in a history, in, uh, in the history of, of financial institutions, a more urgent demand to go digital. Most of these banks, they realize no one wants to go into the branch anymore and fill out a piece of paper and an application. They all want to apply online and they want to do it through technology and things like that. So, a lot of the technology we have built has uh, we can we can go to our lender base as well and and, and deliver technology that way. So uh, and there's a lot of other pieces to it. My point is is we feel like it's enormous market. It's very inefficient. There's a as a very large opportunity. We're growing 75 percent, uh, you know, to 100 percent year over year. Um, so um, 
if we keep that up, then that'll create optionality for us to be able to decide what, you know, where we take the business. Absolutely. Uh, where can people go to find more about Lendio or find you on the internet? Yeah. So um, Lendio.com, it's free for small business owners. We make our money through lenders. Um, and then on Twitter, uh, at Brock Blake uh, is where you can find me. Awesome. I wrap up every episode asking the same two questions and then uh, you'll get to ask me one to finish up. Uh, the first question is, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Wow. A business book or any book? Whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll, I'll probably take, I'm going to take a a personal, a book that means is near and dear to my heart uh, and has changed my life um, is the Book of Mormon. Um, and so I'm going to take that one um, because it, it helps. It has, there's been nothing that I, as I've studied, um, I'm a religious person and I've studied a lot of different things. And, and there's been, and what I love about that book is that it, um, there's, there's promises to it. Uh, well, it, it, it gives you guidance on why we're here and where we're going. The whole adage of where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. Um, and, it, and studying it each day gives me a lot of peace in my life. Um, and so that, that book uh, would, would, be my, would be my selection. So one of the things that I've noticed is uh, the books that people think were the most important in their life have a lot to do with when they read it. Do you remember the first time, how old you were, or kind of where you were in your life when you read it? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I, I learned, heard about it or other things like that, but where it really came to life for me when it was my freshman year of college. Yeah, it, it, um, it, it's crazy to me, uh, right in the like 16 to 25 there's yep. a lot of people who that seems to be the age when uh, they read something and it could be a religious text. It could be fiction, nonfiction, you know, f philosophical, whatever it is, but it just, it resonates. And, uh, and some of it's probably uh, nostalgia in some cases, some of it is they took a specific learning uh, and some of it is, you know, like the religious text where they continue to read it on a daily basis and, uh, and it's kind of stuck with them through their life. So it's, uh, it's cool to hear that story. And you're uh, looking for answers, right? You're trying to figure out what is, what is all this stuff mean? Why are we here? You know? Well, so I had somebody come on the podcast once and uh, he very intelligently said that every human will ask the same two questions in their life. One is what happens when we die? And the second is, are we here alone? And so my second question is more fun, which is aliens. Are you a believer or a non-believer? <laughs> uh, I believe that there is life on other, on other planets. I don't know if it's the form of aliens um, or, or if there are other Earths out there or other things like that. But I, I do believe there are other spheres that, uh, that, there are, that there's life, signs of life. Absolutely. I, I, don't I don't know if there's they green men. Green Martians, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the green men. I, I don't know if I'm sold on, but uh, right? but intelligent life. I, I think that uh, it's just too big. It's got to be there somewhere, right? Yep, I agree. Amen. Uh, you get asked me one question to finish up. What do you got for me? So um, for you, like, what was your favorite interview that that you've done, um, or whether that's been on a podcast or just like. An, an experience where you've sat down with someone and he was just like, this was incredible. Um, who, yeah. who was it and what was the topic? So people are going to like revolt when I say this. It's nobody I've ever talked to on the podcast. Uh, the, the podcast is, um, 
it's great. And I meet amazing people and I get to hear some really amazing stories, but I do think that there's this sense of, uh, um, some people are very guarded and, uh, they don't want to be vulnerable because they know a lot of people are going to listen to it and, and things like that. And, uh, in person, it used to be a little bit better. Remote is even harder, right? Because then it's like, uh, kind of you're talking into the portal that is your, uh, your computer or whatever. Yep. Uh, but the best conversations I've ever had are with complete strangers. Like, you know, I can think of a couple off the top of my head. Uh, you know, when I was in Iraq, I met a kid who barely spoke English and just like seeing that viewpoint or um, I was with my wife in Bulgaria where she's from and just met somebody who spoke, you know, English and just kind of, again, getting their viewpoint or being on a train in Italy and some guy happens to sit down next to us who is a restaurateur in, uh, in the United States and he starts talking about kind of his life. And, and those are the stories I think that are like really, really interesting interesting. Um, some of it's probably a fascination with like people who have a story different than your own. Right. Um, and then also two is like, everyone always focuses on the most successful people, the richest people, the people who kind of accomplished, uh, more than everyone else. And it's just like aspirational. Tell me how you did it. Or, you know, kind of tell me your story. Uh, but I tend to think that many of the people with the most interesting stories are the people who maybe aren't the most successful, right? They're the people who are kind of still in the story. Um, yep. And so I, I don't know if I could pick one, but it's those types of situations uh, to me are like incredibly rewarding, which uh, almost seems like, um, you know, it's counterintuitive or blasphemous for somebody who spends so much time talking to people on a podcast uh, <laughs> to say, but for sure that that would be the answer. Totally get it. Can I ask one more? Of course. Come on, one more. So what, uh, you know, each of us go through these times where we're, we're thinking at something, there's a topic, there's a cause, there's something that is consumes our thoughts that we're passionate about that, you know, in our, when we, when we, when we aren't forced to talk about something else, we choose to talk about this topic. What is that for you right now? Yeah, I, I think it's probably something around like financial education, right? And, and I say that mainly because um, to me, it's just the one thing that uh, we can give to lots and lots of people. It's not controversial at all. And it probably can have um, a significant, if not the biggest impact on someone's life, right? And, and it's just this idea of, I think a lot about um, kind of education and knowledge is the uh, equalizer, Right. So you, yep. if you look at something as simple as just, uh, Hey, yes, you should save money to a point and then you should invest the rest. Right. And so like have your rainy day fund, but investing is how you will not only protect yourself, uh, from all sorts of things around inflation, et cetera, but also like, that's how you're going to grow your wealth. And rather than trading your hours for money and, you know, all these kind of like very basic, timeless financial education, um, you know, kind of learnings or, or lessons, uh, they're timeless for a reason. But what you start to realize is there's probably 50%, maybe more of the country. If you went and you sat down with them, like they don't know this stuff, right? Yeah. And, and, and it literally is just a lack of knowledge. And then you explain it to them and they see the world differently, right? And so, you know, again, most of people who come on the podcast have been fortunate enough where like somebody along the way taught them that, right? And yeah. whether it was literally they just happen to stumble upon an article on the internet or a parent or a friend or whatever. But I think that's the one thing of like, if we could get everyone to understand kind of the basics, one, you probably have a lot fewer problems in society just around like people wouldn't go and get into, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and kind of all this like crazy stuff that creates these chain reactions. But then also too, like you literally can improve the quality of somebody's life. And that doesn't mean somebody's going to go from, you know, hey, I make minimum wage to now I'm going to be a multimillionaire. But it does mean that can you help that person over a 20 year period have enough money so that they can actually retire when retirement comes. Yep. Right. And like, I think a lot of people get lost in this like, oh my God, you don't have a mansion? That must mean you didn't do well in life. I'm like, right. no, actually for the majority of people, like retiring on time is a like a bar of, like I, I did the right things, right? Yep. And if you can do it earlier than that, even better. Um, and so I just think that like that's the stuff to me that uh, it's so simple that people kind of like forget about it because they want to, you know, I don't know have us live forever or go find aliens or like, you know, like all that stuff's fun. I love talking right. about it, but, right. but like the basic stuff is still the basic stuff. And, and so I think there's a big impact there. What is Amen. it for you? Oh man. Well, that, that, that there's some, there's some depth to that. Uh, your, your response. Um, and I, I agree with, I agree with that comment. Um, you know, I right now with the election and everything that's going on, I, you know, I, one of the conversations that I'm having is just um, I feel like back in the day, um, as a society, we we all that we we pretty much want in the end a similar result, and whether we are red or blue or whatever whatever stigma or, or label we put on ourselves, we would we would look at someone ac- across the way and say, Kate. I don't agree exactly with their opinion on how to get there, but I believe in that they want the same, because very similar result in the end that I do. And so I'm going to respect their approach. Um, and, and, and I, I just am, you know, for me, it's just disappointing. A lot of my thought right now, just because of the election is just so is disappointing with how, um, divisive the the nation is around you know any topic any it doesn't matter what it is we have to you know we have to fight over it and i just would love to be able to see you know um us respect that that's what makes this nation great is this is united states of america and and we we all have different opinions and we all value those opinions but we can respect each other's opinions and it's not always a fight so anyways, a lot of my thought right now is just around how do you, how do you, and I think a lot of that is, comes from leadership. You know, how do you unite people versus create contention and division? And, um, and um, it's, I, I feel like it's a tough time with the pandemic and, and everything that's happened from, you know, from the, from, um, from race and, and social injustice and some of those things that our, our nation could use a lot of, you know, healing um, uh, through, and, and I'm anxious for that to happen. So that's a lot of my thoughts right now around how do you, how do you, how do you solve for that? I, I went through an exercise with a friend, uh, probably two, three weeks ago. I said to him, you give me a topic and I'm going to tell you both sides of the debate and not cause I'm some expert on this stuff, yeah. but just to show you there is two sides in terms of, and it usually falls on the party lines of Republicans and Democrats, but in general, there's kind of a, you know, very divisive extreme type view in these situations. And he was like, why do you, what's your point? And I was like, because the topic you could throw out could be super mundane, like masks. Right. right. And, right. And, and there's like crazy extreme views. And by the way, that's not uh, a pro or uh, a con, like in terms of right. the argument, right? Like both of the extreme sides of that argument 
are pretty crazy. And yeah. so it's like, I, I just think that uh, when you get in a world where whether it's mass, whether it's the Federal Reserve, small businesses, you know, I, I literally said to him, I said, you could say American dream. And I could show you two different sides of, of that, right? Which yeah. is like, Pretty crazy, and I, I do think that um, I, I'm assuming that you're uh, about the same age as I am. I'm in my uh, early to mid 30s, and uh, you know when you kind of look at it, it's like there's going to be a generation where they eventually kind of come back around, right? And I think yeah. that there was, you know, probably our grandparents were uh, relatively moderate, not super divisive, very kind of leadership oriented, etc. You get some. Uh, diversion from that. And I think that you kind of then go back into more of a consolidation where people say, Hey, look, like you want more moderate um, kind of candidates that embrace, you know, unity and all this kind of stuff and go through a cycle of that. And then you get back to the divisiveness. And so like, I try to remind myself, like we still live in the best, safest, most prosperous time in human history. Yep. It doesn't feel like that if you like, you know, if you watch television or anything like that, but uh, that's my one saving grace is, uh, it, it it might not feel great, but uh, but it's better than it ever was before, which is uh, it's crazy to think about. But, uh, but amen. Amen. There's uh, it's not all bad. It's not all divisive. It's not all you know negative. There's some amazing positive things that are happening, and and we're fortunate to be here. And so I don't want it to come across ungrateful. I'm just it's more of how do we solve some of these problems that exist and uh, create more unity. Uh, Listen. So. You- you guys are doing a fantastic job. There's a lot of small businesses who are very big fans of uh, of what you guys have done over the last six or seven months. So I think you're doing just fine. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. All right, Brock. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. We're going to definitely have to do this again in the future. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for all you do. You're doing some incredible work and love listening to you.